0: want to continue the series today it's time but this particular message um, can seem like I'm tooting my own horn but I don't want it to be that I want us to continue to see in this message in this series of messages how God is fighting for you how God fights for you sometimes in the midst of a bad virus in the midst of people dying in the midst of people being sick it could seem like God is very silent, and He's not. It doesn't mean that He's quiet, unconcerned, apathetic, complacent. It simply is how He operates is so efficient, and how, what he, who He uses to direct what He is saying is the ones that are vocal. So I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 4. If you could turn there, passage I have preached before, but I'm reworking it attached to this series, verse 11 through verse 13. And uh, I want us to keep this in mind. It's time. It's time for us to take church serious. It's time for us to stop playing church. It is time what God is doing in this diaspora, the scattering of the church along with the world, is that it is time for us to be serious about what God is doing, okay? Let us stand. Let us stand. It's time. That's what it's time means. That's what it's serious. It's time. If there's anything God has taught me in this time, is that we have come to church, but the most important organism that He has put in place, we take it for granted. And so... He's allowed us to suffer along with the world. And if that don't shake us up, I got nothing. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, he says, And he gave some as apostles and some as pastors and some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ." Until we all, until we all, the goal is, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Dear God, this passage you put in the midst of a church that (laughs) the Apostle Paul started and Timothy will pastor and... John would write to in 1st and 2nd John, good church. But it's also a church that you threaten to take your lampstand from. So God, it's not always, we're always quick to point the finger, but you're more about your standards. Wherever that falls, it falls. Help us, God, to see this text, to walk in this text, so that we will grow together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I got to see some of your Texan game last night. I didn't get to see all of it, but I did see the part where Brady was picking y'all apart. He was like just a machine going down to score touchdown after touchdown. I know y'all were crying and glad he left the field. (laughs) because he was sure running down that field, no matter how great the defense was, he was moving. And when I looked at the team, I did see a great defensive team. I mean, non, you know, with no questions asked, a great defensive team. The Texans are a great defensive team. But just suppose the members of that team decided to go party, get drunk, get on drugs, right the night before the game, no matter how good they are, the team will not make it because they hurt themselves no matter how prepared they were, no matter how prepared the coaches were, no matter how prepared the game book is, no matter how prepared the stadium is, no matter how prepared the fans are, the team would have lost worse than they lost last night. Because the players, even though their skills were great, were the problem. Understand that Satan is such a crazy enemy that Christ is seeking to fortify the church because he's constantly on the attack. Constantly. The Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says, He goes to heaven day and night. Seek him whom he may devour. Day and night. So Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Satan is an evil person. He knows the Bible better than all of us. You could put all of us together, get all the best theologians in the world. You could turn around and get everybody with 10 PhDs and he's still going to out-talk them. Satan is no dummy. Satan is though, he was the bright shining angel in heaven and he worked along with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and he did it for a very long time. We can't outwit Satan. That's why I don't like people talking to him. Understand, Satan is that vicious. So when Christ, going through the cross because of Satan, influencing church folk, not non-church folk, He influenced people in the temple to get the people in the temple to kill Satan, to kill Christ. That's who he got. Church people do the same thing today. If you start talking about things like homosexuality, they nail you to the cross. If you start talking about you cannot go leave your husband and your wife and live with somebody else, they did not want to nail you to the cross. The minute you start bringing up anything that they don't like, they want to nail you to the cross the same way when Jesus Christ was coming, preaching and teaching, they nailed him to the cross. So we can't just point to the folk in the temple and go, why they do that? We do that today. The minute you open up certain things in the Bible today, we become angry. We want to walk out the church door. We want nothing to do with the church. Why they got to talk about sin? Everybody's sinning. Why they got to bring it up? We got all these different things we throw at God. Well, that's the exact thing they did in the temple and nailed them to the cross. And Satan was behind all of that to make it what it was. And that's why Christ is saying... If we're going to make it in this world and in this time, he has to find a place that is fortified against the attacks of Satan. But if the people in the church are messed up, no matter how much he designed the church, The church cannot achieve what it's supposed to achieve because the enemy is not just Satan is the fact that Satan can so corrupt us by giving us all these musicians all these TV people all these nightclub people all these people that are running around on all these different news stations and television people look at 50,000 hours a week and listening to everything everybody says and then we come to church and we put our hands on the watch the minute the sermon preaching, and then we expect ourselves to somehow live not drunk like the players could be, not obsessed with drugs like the players could be, to have a bad game and a bad team. That's why God is saying not only is the Satan issue, not only is his structures definitely not the issue, the issue is how serious are we going to allow church to be? Because of the people inside the church are being corrupted when they go out during the week and don't want to hear what God got to say unless the preacher says what everybody else out there is saying and they ain't be listening to God because unless the, the preacher lines up with what's being said out there, they ain't got nothing to do with church. The Bible is saying after a while he got a double problem. He got Satan constantly trying to tear up his people, and he got his own people trying to nail him to the cross. And that's why he's saying the thing that he has to make clear and, make done, and organize productively is the church, and it has to be organized so it's fortified. It's not just organized to be organized. It's not just organized to have a pastor and the elders and the deacons and all these people so we got everything in place. We got the building, we got the st- all the audio. and No, he said that, no, 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 no. He says, what we have to do in order for the church to withstand the attacks of Satan is to make sure that the inside structure of the church is productive. Because if the inside structure of the church is not productive, it's a double whammy. And people in the church die and are wounded and are broken and are messed up just like the people in the world. So the people in the world end up looking at us going, what's the difference going to church? Y'all just as messed up as we are. And that's exactly what they're saying today. And that's why we have to take church the way he designed it, and it's time that we do it. So I want you to walk into this passage with me because what we're going to see is that when it comes to the role of a pastor, he's not asking you to do that. He's not. And I want you to walk with me for a minute. And it's not about me. It's about how this structure works to make sure you are fortified. Because Satan going to take us out any minute he gets. Don't forget, it wasn't God going to, going to look at himself going, what about Job? What are we going to do to hurt Job? And it wasn't God doing that. God didn't say, okay, you know what? Let's figure out what we can do to Job today. Because Job going, getting things done really nice right now. Job got nice business going on. His kids are so rich, they could party all week. I mean, this is is too good. We got to mess up Job. No, it was Satan that came to mess up Job. And he had to come to God because there was a hedge around him, a hedge around him. He wouldn't come to God for anybody else. He came to God because Satan had a hedge, Job had a hedge around him. Do we have hedges around us? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, we do have angels that will be around us, but it doesn't mean they're always around us. We could push them off. So how do you mean that? The Bible says if anger sits around a long time, Satan will get a foothold. When did he say the angels, he fought the angels, went to heaven, talked to God before he got a foothold in our lives? Never said it. The Bible says if we keep lying on an iron to fire, Satan can infuse himself into our lives. Where do you see him going through all of the hedges around us and going up to heaven talking to God first? You don't see that. You see him come directly to us. The Bible literally says if the leaders of the church become perverse in how they function, and we studied that last week in Acts chapter 20, the Bible says Satan will come in, influence them, and he will become a savage wolf that will destroy the church. If the leaders go left. So the Bible is literally saying that it's not like the hedge around us is automatic. Job was righteous. There was a hedge. Didn't come, Satan did not come to God about anybody else. Because why? They didn't have a hedge. Job had a hedge. And that's why Job repeatedly being said was a righteous man was important before you talked about the hedge. Have you considered Job who was a righteous man? Yes, you have a hedge around them. That's why that came first. So in other words, in order for us to be fortified, God has to exactly take care of how the leaders are in place because they could be the worst enemy. Are you with me? They could be the worst enemies. Who nailed Jesus to the cross? High priests, elders. Pharisees, Sadducees. Why I'm naming them because they made up the Sanhedrin. That's who made it up. It was a group of leaders who said, Jesus Christ needs to be nailed to the cross and went to fight to get it done. So if the leaders are corrupt, you got a massive problem for the church, for a nation. So that's why when it comes to picking leaders, he's not asking anybody to do that for him. When you come to God gave pastors in the Genesis, God made the earth. He didn't ask for our advice. When you come to picking Abraham, where the God says, let's get the nation of Israel together and then let them select a leader. Doesn't. Here's Abraham. When they went to pick Saul, what does he do? Saul, you messed up. I'm gonna let a demon mess with you. I'm gonna pick David. From David, who came Christ? God is the one who would pick Joshua. When it comes to leadership in a church and he's starting up the church, don't forget the only two things that God ever established on earth is the family and church. That's it. God has not committed himself to nothing else. So that's why Satan comes when Eve is around to cause the family to fall apart because then he got all of mankind. Then he comes to the church because if he could corrupt the church, If judgment does not begin in the household of faith, what will be the outcome of the world? If we don't do right, the world is a mess. See, we we keep looking at the world saying, oh yeah, they need that because they're messing up, doing all kinds of stuff, and God is going, no, the world is suffering because of you. The Bible is saying where righteousness is, in the book of Proverbs, sin is restrained. In other words, when a body is healthy, disease can't penetrate. But if the body is not healthy, disease can do whatever it wants. So the Bible is not looking at the crazy folk in the world. They live in sin. That's what they do. He's looking at where righteousness is or is not. And that's why he is saying, I'm never going to turn over to the people of God to select who is a pastor. I will decide that. Because if that position is off, it's all off. It's all off. Now I want you to see, before we get more into that, the process he's using to get there. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. That's why living word, I've constantly said to the elders, when my time comes to an end, I'm going to disciple somebody to take over living word. And I'll work on that person knowing that they are a good place. Yep, you're right. I'm working on my son because I believe he's trained, he's well-educated, he's been here a long time. Not because he's my son. I ain't doing that. I'm not going to take some money and stick him in the neck of my son. Yeah, I'm not doing that. That's wrong. It's corrupt. It's wrong. The Bible says you got to see things in that person's life, which we don't have time to walk through. But before, and there ain't no pulpit committee. I keep telling the elders that. Do not pick a pulpit committee. This ain't nobody's job that you're selecting to be a supervisor or something. Pulpit committees is very secular and it's sinful. you got regular people trying to decide on the holy place of God. There ain't no pulpit committee going to select a pastor. When my time comes to an end, whenever God says that is, I'm fighting against a pulpit committee. There is no pulpit committee in the Bible. I could take you through Bible after Bible after Bible and see how they selected people. Fasting, praying, all kind of stuff. A group of elders doing that. And then that group of elders then presented to the people who will be the next person. It wasn't the people voting on it. This is all messed up. We're in a democracy. So we bring that democracy to the church. We go to jobs. So we bring how people are taken on a job to the church. We don't realize we keep bringing the world to the church and then asking God to bless it. God is going, that's twisted. How are you going to bring the world to the church and ask me to bless it? Because I gave you pastors. He's not playing with that position. And I read to you why last week. Last week I read to you that the reason why Corinth was so corrupt is because the pastors were like shining stars in the church. They were like lights in the church. They were preaching and teaching and talking bad about Paul right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul has to fight for his integrity because of what they were doing to destroy it. So the church was a mess in Corinth because of leaders. Christ was nailed to the cross because of leaders, not because of sinners. The Romans kept saying, This man is not guilty. The sinners were saying that. It is the church folk that were saying, kill him. And that's why the Bible is saying, don't corrupt this position. Don't corrupt, it. don't tolerate corruption at this position. I would teach you that. I'm a man. If I go twist it, don't mess with it. He says this. This is how he establish this. This is how he fortifies the church. He has to have a point, man. That's why Satan will come after me like crazy. He will come after me. He got to tear me down. He got to tear my family down. He got to tear my marriage down. He has to. Because if he doesn't do that, that's why you see pastors that have died in this COVID. He has to say, hey, look at them preachers. They're dying. He has to come to the person who is the general leading the army and take him out. Who do you shoot first when you go rob a bank? The security guard. So that's the reason why in this text he says, I fortified the leadership. Let's look at chapter 2. Let's look at chapter 2. This is what he says. Having been built on the foundation, this is how, when we talk about what the word church means, the word church means a collection of believers that He calls out from everybody in a town because of just sort of, those of you who may not have heard this, that are maybe listening online, this is a def, quick definition of church. The word church is why Christ don't define it, He just says it when we talked about it in the past. It is, it, you had an envoy that would go out, Rome conquered a lot of places around the world like England did for a long time, and Rome would go out and they would conquer, and when they went into these villages and places their people would be there like you see Paul would say I'm a Roman well they would not they didn't have Instagram television all this sort of stuff to say like you see Biden standing on television saying we're gonna do, 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 do. they didn't have that so in order for them to proclaim what they're trying to do in Congress and Rome had a senate group in Rome had the senators in Rome have all these different people to carry out what they're gonna do they would send out envoys And these envoys, proclaimers, will then go to these cities, and only the citizens will be coming out to listen to them. Only the citizens. And the citizens would listen to the proclaimers. And that's why Christ used the word church. The word church was used because he's saying right here, he says in verse 19, So then you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So when he comes, he's sending out a preacher to bring out from the place. Every week, he wants his people. That's why you just don't miss church and it's okay. He's saying, you come every week. He wants them to come out to hear what the proclaimer has to say because you're no longer aliens. You're no longer unsaved people. So on Sunday morning, how in the world could you be with the unsaved people? How in the world could you be hanging out with the unsaved people? How in the world could you be acting like the unsaved people? How in the world could you be in the world looking at football, all these different things, like the unsaved people? He says, no, on Sunday morning you come to my household. Just like a family is coming to a family gathering, you come to the household because I have a proclaimer to tell you what I want you to think about as you head back into the city. And that's why he says this, in order to make sure that that proclaimer ain't twisted, And in telling you what he think. I made sure that everything is sound. And verse 20 says, having been built on the foundation. Who's the foundation? Jesus Christ. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that the foundation is Jesus Christ because he is the rock. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. We talked about the foundation in First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 through 15. That that foundation can't change. Nobody should change the foundation that has been laid he says. So no no preacher could come in and say, let me tell y'all what we're going to do in here. No, 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 no. The minute they start changing anything, y'all need to do something about it. The minute they close this Bible and tell y'all what they got to think, the Bible says he's telling you foolishness because I don't need to hear what you think. Your wisdom is foolishness to me. So that's why he says in verse 20, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. Why? There's no fourfold ministry. I don't know why people in this fourfold ministry. There's no fourfold ministry. It is the foundation that he's laying out. Okay? Nobody has apostleship and all this stuff all tied into one person. It doesn't exist. Don't let them people tell you that. If somebody said that they're an apostle, run because they had to be alive over 2,000 years. That person is Superman, they don't die okay the bible says he could tell you what the apostles role was they were commissioned to go out with god and to because there was no new testament bible we got new testament old testament all this stuff they didn't so when they had to get the word from god somebody has to write it in Prover- in john chapter 17 verse 13 through verse 18 he says that you talking to the apostles will write the scriptures down So to lay the foundation out so the pastor could preach something, he had to make sure somebody was writing it down. So those are the apostles, and to make sure that they didn't say anything that was wrong, what he did was make sure there were eyewitnesses. So they're not writing down what somebody told them. They write down what they heard themselves and saw themselves. That's why you have the word in the Bible called logos. The word logos means whatever God is thinking, Christ is saying. Not, not, not whatever God is saying to Christ He's interpreting to say to us. The Bible says, He literally, literally hear the thoughts of God. That's why he uses the word "Lagos." So to make sure that no misinterpretation can take place with the Word of God, he had apostles who saw him, who were eyewitnesses carrying out this logos to make sure it's written down accurately, correctly, because the pastor's going to be a pastor teacher. So he can't teach something that isn't written down because the Bible is telling him in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 17, he is saying to them, the pastor could only teach and do what I have put into the Bible. He can't do anything else. It's right there. So the apostles had to write it down. But guess what? It ain't written down yet. You got the church of Ephesus is getting Ephesians and 1 John. Where's the rest of the Bible? So that's why there were prophets. Prophets went out to reveal the thoughts of God to the people as they were experiencing it. But you don't see prophets listed in the office of leaders in the Bible. You got got a pastor, elders, deacons. You got associate pastors. Where is the list in 1 Timothy that has to do with with prophets? Why? Because by the time of 1 Timothy, you had a lot of Bible written. So you didn't need prophets anymore. So that's why the office of prophets faded out as there's more and more Scripture being written. So by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, you don't find prophets because the Bible is more and more written. So what are you going to prophesy on? That's why Peter would write in 2 Peter, he would say, prophecy is not what one man decides. He says it is not based on human interpretation. Prophecy is the revelation of God's Word and what it means in the future. I could prophesy right now. If you don't, children, if you don't listen to your parents, your life will not be long in the land. What did I just do? Prophesy about how long they live. So the Bible is saying I could take the Word of God, because it's the Word of God and it's here forever, it will turn around and I could read it properly, I could talk about the future right from it. So since I have a complete document, I can write, I could talk about the future right from it, I don't need the office of prophets anymore. That's why he says in First Thessalonians, you could actually test prophecy. So somebody was to come to you and say, God will bless you. God will do this. God will do that. God will do that. He says, open up the Bible. If it ain't in there, they lying. And a prophet never could, could never lie once. You act like, oh, he's messed up. Got a few things off. I heard people tell me that stuff. And I go, you're crazy what are you talking about? I said, listen, listen, listen. If a prophet said one thing wrong, they were taken outside a city and stoned. One, not, not, not one prophecy they missed, but they had another, but 90% of them are good. No, they couldn't do one. Why? The Word of God is sound. It's truth. It doesn't have any error. So if a prophet is prophesying, how could he prophesy error? That's why the Bible is saying you had apostles, prophets. Well, people got to now be saved, evangelists. How the pastor going to teach people who ain't saved? So evangelists are people who still exist today, go out. And they win people to Christ. When they win people to Christ, the Bible says, you're now a citizen. You're no longer an alien. So since you are a citizen, come to church. When you come to church, guess who I need? Pastor teachers. That's why it's not a four-fold ministry within one person. It's a 4 4 process of building on the foundation. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2. Walk with me today. I know... I know I've gotten emails and texts, Pastor, you're heavy. It's okay. Sound doctrine is heavy. That's why you have to endure it. You never says sound doctrine is what you will enjoy. He says what you endure. So, what I'm trying not to make you endure it. I'm working hard up in here. Okay. So now look at chapter 2. He says in verse 20, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. That's who people are putting together all this stuff. Prophets, Christ Jesus himself being what? The cornerstone. He shapes how everything happens. So even though they are building on that foundation, Christ is still shaping. Cornerstone means everything is shaped to the cornerstone. The whole building is shaped to that. So the Bible is saying, even though they're doing all of this, I still shape it. I am still in control of it. And now look at how beautiful this is. Watch, watch this verse. It's beautiful verse. I love this verse. He says in verse 21, he says, In whom the whole building is being built, fitted together, growing into what? A holy temple. A holy temple unto who? In the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's what makes this fortified. He says, when you do this my way, I so love it that I come and find my place as a dwelling place in the church. Remember remember when the sacrifice in the Old Testament was great? They would have this, this, this fire to come down and burn it up. And the Bible said it would be like a sweet smelling aroma to God. The Bible says, when you do this my way, and you set it up my way, now it's a dwelling place that I could be in. Because why? I'm the rock. I'm the foundation. The Word is being established through the apostles. The prophets are saying it the way I tell them to say it. The pastor teachers are in place that I gave. And when I set it up this way, and I put it together this way, and you respect it, then I come and dwell in it. If God dwells in something, it's fortified. That's why I'm saying you don't want to mess with this. You don't. That's the last thing you want to mess with is this. Don't touch it. Don't fight for what you feel you need to have or what you don't like. People come to church because the minute they start feeling important, like a teenager, they start talking crazy. You know that? I learned that raising kids. You put four wheels onto them and get them some more and more and more education, all of a sudden you become dumb. You ever notice that if you raise teenagers, you become the dumbest person in the house because they think they know. They could even come home from college telling you about what philosophy said, what Socrates said. I said, "Let Socrates going to buy you dinner? <laughs> now watch this carefully, folks. He says, back in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, right here in verse 11, and he gave, he gave some as apostles. Now, you understand why he's saying it in verse 11 now, hopefully. And some is prophets, some as evangelists. And he says, now that we are at this plot, I'm adding somebody, pastor, teachers. I'm adding him because now I got to care for my flock. now, notice this carefully. He didn't say preacher, teachers. Watch it carefully. He said pastor, teachers. That's why caring for you, is a good sign that the person should be now qualified to teach you. If all a person does on Sunday mornings, get up here and preach and don't care what you're going through, that's that's a teacher maybe, but not a pastor. A pastor is a shepherd. A pastor is somebody who wants to make sure you follow the protocols. He wants to make sure you will get the vaccine because he's trying to protect you. He's one of the persons that God has put in place to protect you. That's why he says once the person is there fortifying the place, the protection goes out, then the teaching takes place. So that's why you find that parents that could get through to their kids were loving parents. The parents that holler and screamed and talked to the kids and get out the door and all the stuff. The parents, the kids out of loyalty would care for those parents. But the parents who were loving fought for their kids go to all ends for their kids. Do whatever they can to help their kids. And then their kids grow up, and they may think they got their own mind, but they will come and say, what do you think? Because they know fundamentally, even if we think different, you care for me. And I know you care for me. For all the things you've done, you care for me. So since I know that, even though I may still go do what I want to do, I still want to hear what you got to say. What does that mean? The person cared before the person taught. So understand, that's why there's a comfort and care ministry. That's why there's a pastor shepherding as the church grows. That's why you got all these things at Living Word. You got an assistant pastor. Who part of his job is to watch over, making sure the ministries are functioning so that the pastor could focus on the caring side. That's why you have elders. The Bible construct elders. We looked at it in Acts chapter 20. The elders are supposed to what? Tenderly care for sheep. That's why you see them over new membership. That's why you see them having deacons below them. That's why you see the elders with deacons below them trying to keep up with the deacons to care for you. That's why you see us calling and trying to keep up with people no matter who's here, who's not here because the job of the shepherds is assist the pastor in getting the caring done. The Bible says what he's going to do? He's going to add the gift of encouragement to the church, the gift of helps to the church. Why is he doing all of that? Because he says, I, I want you to know that Jesus Christ cares. Why? Because God is who? Love. So that's why he didn't say preach a teacher, he said pass the teachers. If a person cares, then I'm going to give him the right to shape your will. That's what teaching means it's to shape the will of the person. God is not interested in our will. I'm sorry, folks. I know some of you are bright, brilliant, got education. Well, let me put it a different way you got education. Are y'all bright? Got good jobs. People depend on you. But when you walk through those doors, the Bible says that's all knowledge that takes care of you in the world. But when it comes to who you are, I shape that because I want the teaching to make you like Christ. Not, not like a good supervisor in the sense that you know all the supervisory things to do or a good teacher because you know all the teaching things to do in math and, and, and algebra and, and arithmetic and all this other stuff. Say, no, 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 no. You learn that. You teach that. But if you're not a good person, then you can't be a good husband, a good wife. You can't, can't be a good parent. You, could be, you can't be all these things that you need to be on the job, a person of integrity. You can't be those things because I'm trying to shape you to be salt and light in the world. And the person who shapes your mind for that is the pastor teacher. That's why he's preaching Sunday after Sunday. That's why he does. That's why I may give up the pulpit sometimes, but I'm never going to give it up more than I preach it. Because then it, then it will be irresponsible. It'll be lazy, that's number one. Then it'll be irresponsible. You don't want a pastor that gives up the pulpit every five seconds. This is his primary job. If he ain't ready, he's messing up. If I'm not ready to preach on Sunday, I forgot my major job prescription. matter of fact, in Acts chapter 6, the only reason why I'm paid full-time is so I do that. (laughs) It's not just being full-time as a pastor. The main reason for being full-time is to to pray and study the Word. It's right there in Acts 6. God ain't leaving this for no guesswork, because it's a fortifying against an enemy that is vicious. He wants to take you out. If He don't take you out physically, mentally, with mental duress causing people to be mentally sick. If He don't take you out that way, He puts you in depression. So you end up just depressed, don't open up the blinds because you're discouraged. Satan comes to take us out and the place that God has fortified is the church. So his leadership can't be messed with. That's why he says this. Come on with me. And he says, I gave you. Hopefully I finished this this week. I ain't rushing. I don't feel compelled to rush. Y'all going to be okay. Y'all look at I Love Lucy reruns forever. Don't be talking to me. I don't want to hear it. Some of y'all trying to look at Dynasty now all over. I, I see... Uh, that movie where you had people on Paradise Island or something like that—they're trying to resurrect that. I saw some commercial for that. So y'all, some of y'all are gonna go back to Love Boat. So don't be talking about Jesus. <laughs> Look at Ephesians chapter one, verse eleven. We we do all of that. Some of y'all are still looking at that stuff. The Huxtables, y'all are still looking at that? Come on now, Fresh Prince. How many episodes? Some of y'all look at so many episodes, you could actually say the lines. That's bad. When you could actually say the lines that the person is saying, you're looking at way too much TV. But I've known of people say, yeah, she's going to say this. I'm like, what? I remember growing up and watching, uh, when I was a teenager, my mom would be cooking and watching uh, uh, it some of those young blood com- uh, soap poppers. I, and because I love my mom's cooking, so, you know, I hung around the house because I know she's cooking, and the smell gets you, you know. The smell gets you. So you're hanging around the house. I'm saying, man, look at these things. This, they, they're doing, these people just keep doing the same thing. They're going to be in love, and they're going to get really close together, and they're going to almost marry. And before they can marry, something gonna go messed up. So now you've got to look at 10 more episodes before they come back together. I'm going, this is ridiculous. I ain't looking at this there was some guy on there supposed to be marrying Laura something like that they took forever for not marry I'm saying they don't ever get married golly this is a messed up relationship so y'all don't be talking about God y'all looking at Laura and whatever his name was waiting for them to marry I don't think they ever got married I remember that I looked at about four episodes and I said these kids ain't getting no married up in here they just want you to keep looking because you want this love stuff Okay, let me get back to the message. Look at verse 11. Get back to the message. Got me on a tangent up in here. I don't know where all that came from, but it came from somewhere, and I'm going to blame God for it either. Look at verse 11. He says, And also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things according to whose will, the counsel of his will. He's not looking for us. Look at verse 10, with a view to an administration that is suitable for the fullness of times. God is saying, you ain't got nothing on me as these times become more technological and all this stuff. Whatever I'm doing in the church, it is ready and set for the fullness of times. You don't have to fix it or rearrange it because I put it together. It's based on my knowledge, based on how I see everything, my counsel, the administration I'm putting together. is organized to be the body of Christ. You don't need to come and tell me how dumb I am because you're in a technological age Because you just got smart and got two PhDs. I put it together for the fullness of times. I put it together back then 2,000 years ago. It is still good for now. That's why he says, I got this administration. Verse 11. It's done, it's set up. You don't need to change anything. And then in verse 12, he says, Here is the reason for it it's for the equipping of the saints. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the equipping of the saints. <laughs> okay, what is this? Everybody says it's mending broken bones. All right, that's fine. You could find that in the Greek. You could find that attached to that and all that. But it's not just that. And I don't like to go with that definition. The definition I like to go with is the one that I believe best fits the context. What is the one that best fits the context? What best fits the context is that they, when they get ready to put a ship on the seas, they don't have satellite looking at that ship. They don't even know if there's a storm blow, uh, blowing in the Gulf. They don't know. They don't have satellite pictures and all this other sort of stuff, planes flying in the midst of it to say it's 100 miles an hour. None of that. They are literally getting into a sailboat going blind. So they got to prepare the sailboat in case the sails break. They got to get more sails from the bottom of the boat and put it back up. If the, if the wood breaks that holds a sail, they got to get wood right there to put it back up. If they, if they end up straying along on the ocean, can't find the wind, they got to have enough food to stay there. So when the boats were going out on water, they had to be fully equipped for anything that could go wrong. That definition to me best fits this passage. That he's talking about taking care of a ship that is going out to sea, that is going out blind. We don't know tomorrow. We don't even know if we're going to make it out the door and not fall dead with a heart attack. We don't know. The Bible says when we walk out of here, we are literally going blind. That's why he talks about walking the light as he's in the light. Because we live blind if he doesn't open up our eyes to see. So he's saying the pastor's job is to equip you, is to make sure that when you go out, you end up being complete for any situation you got to deal with. That's why we have Life Act. That's why we had a marriage ministry yesterday. That's why we have all these different things. We have to deal with mental illness coming up here in October. Why are we doing all these things? Because we have to equip you. If I don't do it, I'm not doing my job. Go to Colossians chapter 1. This is the job of a pastor. He has to make sure that whatever you face in life, whatever issues you face in life, you know what to do with it. That's why it's teaching, not just preaching. Preaching in the Bible actually means to win the loss. The word evangelizo, it means to win the loss. Teaching means to win the person's heart to Christ, to do what Christ is saying by shaping their will because they're already saved. So that's why you have preachers, then you have pastor-teachers. Because pastor-teachers' job is not just to preach and get you happy and jump around. He says, That's not what's going to happen in the last days. The pastor's job is to make sure you are mentally equipped to walk in the light. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 29 and verse 28. Y'all still there? I hope y'all not in the middle of a nap because I'm going to throw a rock at you right now. Well, that wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be a caring pastor, now, would that be? That took care of all of that. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man. A bump, push, shove, try to get you all to go to life app. When the classrooms get small, we're going to have an overflow life app. We're going to work at that. I have to find ways. I can never say, well, it's the biggest rooms we could find. That's all we got. So we're going to have to figure, you know, this, they can't make it because the room is not big enough. The Bible is saying, I just got lazy on you. I got to find a way. He says, because it's every man. With what? All what? Wisdom. Why did he say all knowledge? You know why he do not say all knowledge? Because he already talked about it in, chapter, in the same chapter, verse 9 through 11. He talked about it. You know why he don't say knowledge? Because the past is supposed to help the Word of God to become so applicable that when you go out there, you know how to take the knowledge you got and use it. So that's why it's wisdom. You can't have wisdom, he says in verse 9 through verse 11, unless you grow spiritually. That's why there's life app, discipleship, small groups, all this sort of stuff. Why? Because if you're not growing spiritually, wisdom is, doesn't turn on and all you have is knowledge. That's why you got a bunch of folk in jail quoting the Bible. They don't have, they have knowledge but no wisdom. Because they didn't apply the Scriptures to real-life situations every day. That's what causes them to grow up spiritually when you practice the Word of God. Because they're not applying that and applying that to their lives regularly, the Bible says the Holy Spirit doesn't grow up in them. And when He doesn't grow up in them, He can't take the Word of God. The Spirit is truth. Can't take the Word of God and transpose it to wisdom. So the job of the pastor is not just to teach you, it's to work the system, make sure it's equipped so that when you go out, you could deal with any life issue you have. stay in that verse. This is what he says. Stay in that verse. He says this in verse 28 of chapter 1. He says, So that we may pre- present, what? Every man. I don't care what color you are, if you... Got out of high school, flunk out of high school, flunk out of college. I don't care if you're divorced, remarried, just got off of drugs, alcohol. He's saying all of that is irrelevant. I got a Peter that still cussed after three years of discipleship. Okay? I still work with him. Peter, do you love me? Anybody. I went to Zacchaeus' house. Okay? I was a wrong sinner so much they thought I was a sinner. Okay? So he said, I don't care where you come from. I care where you're going. Okay? He says, every man, every man. That's why I ran from pastoring right here, this verse. When I get to heaven and I didn't do my job, the Bible says, you did not do enough to cause people to be presented this way. I remember my Pierre and Monica getting all in love and all this stuff I want to get married and I said to Monica so Monica you ain't marrying him until you ready because you're my daughter now but dad I think we should get you know I'm, I'm ready no no you got to finish school because this brother if you go left and you got kids you're going to need a job honey so now y'all can't be getting married till you finish school or get a trade or something because you're like my daughter now, so what I would do for my daughter, I do for you. So this brother got to be ready, and when he's ready, then you can marry him. So he got to finish college because he has to work. I ain't helping y'all <laughs> unless I got to. He got to have a job, and when I see my kids productive, I'll help them any kind of way. I'm sorry, I get gets me in a lot of trouble, but that's just where I'm at. That's what the Bible tell me help is. Help is getting somebody to do better. That are working on their own to do better that's what the Bible means by help so I get in trouble for that but it's okay when you when you see that going along then he's ready he's on his own initiative bettering his life therefore he could take over a home so I'm not releasing him from this house until he's ready some people say well you can't be ready till you're 27 ain't got ready ain't got nothing to do with age David was ready at 16 Ready ain't got to do with age. Everybody's throwing age in my face. You go to age, you got major problems. Jesus Christ was only 33. You got a problem with even Jesus. Okay? <laughs> he started ministry at 30. So <laughs> you got issues. They only lived to about like 45 in Jesus' day. So when you come to this, the Bible is saying pre- Jesus' job is to present the church as a radiant in church before God. Well, who's going to help them do that? Pastors. So it's not just going to heaven. I was a pastor, you know. No, no, he said, no, we, we don't roll like that. I'm not putting a crung on your head until the people you serve, you help me present them before God as complete. If you don't help me present them before God as complete, when I'm giving you all these resources to get it done, he says, then guess what? To him whom much is given, much is re. When you come to heaven, we got to talk. There ain't no crown on your head. There's no white gown you're putting on. And forever, 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 everybody knows that you were a messed up pastor. I ain't playing. That's why he says this. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, he says, And for this purpose, this purpose, also I labor. The pastor didn't work. It was a labor. Striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's why he gives pastors because they got to have some strength mightily working within them and they're going to get worn out, tired, because they are laboring every day. Preaching, laboring. Teaching, laboring. Getting ready to pastor and to teach, laboring. Takes about 40 hours to get a sermon. Then you got another 20-something hours to get Bible study done. If I look at a clock, I'm already working 55, 60 hours before I do anything else. That's just the way it is. It's a laboring. You no longer have a life. It's over. He tells Timothy that. Timothy, your life is over. So if I get to look at a football game, it's happy. If I don't, well, there you go. What's the score? Now I got an app. I can look at the score and go, oh, my cowboys lost again. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. Dak broke his what? So it's depressing. That's why Mondays for most pastors are the worst day. That's why I don't take off Mondays. I take off Fridays. Well, don't, ask, don't tell my wife that. She don't know what I'm talking about. That's like French. What is taking off, Brother Cannings? That's why sometimes I just fly out of town. It's the only way I can just deprogram. So when some people ask me to speak, yeah, I come. When do I have to speak, though? At night. Great. I got the day off <laughs> to get my mind refreshed. Because why? Until, look at verse chapter 4. We'll finish this next week. Sorry, Pierre. Finish this next week, verse 12. Pierre's already working on next week's sermon, so I just backed him up. For the equipping of the who. I know that all of y'all ain't going to want this. He didn't say for the equipping of the members of the living word, for the equipping of the members of Ephesus. He said for the equipping of those who've already set themselves aside and dedicated their lives to walk with me. So, in other words, it's not about how many people are in church that join your church, it's how many people are committed to be saints. So, you can have 10,000 people, but they're just members. They're not saints. There were a lot of people in Jesus' day, but those same people He fed, the same people He sat on the side of the mountain and taught the Word, the same people who would follow Him around the countryside are the same people that said, crucify Him. They weren't different people. It was the same people that saw Him raise the dead, heal the blind, the same people that say, saw him say to the dead people, rise, rise up and walk. Them same folks said, crucify him. Why? Because they were followers of his good works, not of his person, the Christ. So he says this to the pastor, the people that you will equip will be saints. So that's why I work hard, but I don't determine the results. Because I don't know who the saint is. See, the saint is a person who is dedicated and committed to God. You see the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He would say to Timothy, teach those who would listen and continue your ministry forward. You see, folks, why? You can't equip a boat that ain't going out to sea. If you equip a boat that's going to sit on the side of the docks, it's going to get moss under it. It's going to sit there. The docks can eventually beat it up with the winds hitting it all over the place. The boat is going to fall apart just sitting there. The best thing for the boat is to put it out to sea. The Bible is saying, anybody just want to come sit sour and talk. And my mom used to have a definition for that. Come sit sour and just run their mouth, not really seeking to grow spiritually. He is saying, my job is not to equip them. My job is to equip the persons who say, I'm dedicated to this. I am committed like a Job. I'm committed like an Abraham. I'm committed like an Anna in the temple. I'm committed like people who walked with you, God, Timothy's and Titus's. I'm committed like the people in the Old Testament who served you faithfully. People in the New Testament who serve you faith- faithfully. The darknesses of the Bible. To them people that served you and faithfully walked with you. He says, I, you, I equip them. You go equip them. And you build them up to do great. I'll finish this next week. Sorry. Sorry, Pepe. Ooh, I said his nickname in front of everybody. (laughs) He was asking me this week, Dad, what sermon are you going to preach next week? Since this week I'm preaching both services. And I told him what sermon I'm going to preach next week. So he started ahead on it. So I just backed him up. That's why I was saying that. But he all yeah. right. Living Word, I sincerely love you, and that's why I fight for you. I don't care what people say about me. It's irrelevant to me. If people could talk bad about Jesus, I don't stand a chance. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes but I'm always going to own them. I will never run from them. I was raised that way. Son, you're wrong. Yes, ma'am. Let's fix this, son. I will never run from a mistake. I'll own it. Because what is at stake is Satan wiping you out. This is not a game. This is not some fun thing we're doing here. This is life and death. You can't mess with this in the last days. There's a storm about to tear up New Orleans. Satan is the prince of the air. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. That ain't happening because of some, the the water getting hot and all this other stuff. Yeah, all this stuff is going on because Satan is at war seeking whom he may devour. This is not a game. This is not just church and how great the musicians may be. This is about your life. It's about your family. And God loves you so much. He didn't just go to heaven. He set up a place that can fortify you against the attacks of Satan. He's trying to create a family to bless you. And you should never play with it. Never take it for granted. Never assume you can make it life without it. You can't. Don't let money make you think you can. Education make you think you can. A good job make you think you can. Because that will come and go. But Jesus Christ, what do you do for him? Lasts forever. Fortify your life by taking your church serious. Fortify your life by praying for your pastor and elders and deacons and ministry leaders and, and, and associate pastors and all these young men on staff and people on staff. They're working hard. Why? Yeah, this is not a joke. I told, I'll finish with this. When i my raising my kids, my wife and I, my wife grew, grew very good mother. Not saying that to please her or you. She was and she is. Raising them, I said, guys, I just want the best for you. I honestly, not doing this to be a father. If I had my way, I'd be more of you. Well, I just want you to be the best you could be. And if I have to give everything I have to give for you to be there, I'll do it. That's where I'm at, living word. But you. But you have to be part of this program for it to be a blessing not just to you but to everybody around us. Let us stand.